Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Cristiano Ronaldo has said he feels betrayed by Manchester United. He also criticised Eric Ten Hag and also the state of the club since Sir Alex Ferguson left. Were any of his points justified? If this is the end for him at Old Trafford, where will he go next? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I don't know what's going on, but since Sir Alex Ferguson left, I saw no evolution in the club. The progress was zero after Suck Ole. They bring sport directive Ralph Regnick, which is something that nobody understands. This guy is not even a coach. Nothing changed. Well, with us today, the Athletics' Adam Crafton and Laurie Whitwell, who covers Manchester United for us and is currently making his way to Qatar and has been for the last 10 days uh, by trains, planes and automobiles. You can read all about his journey on the Athletic. Where are you today? On on the Zoom call we're having, it, it looks like you're in a slightly larger aeroplane toilet, but where are you? <laughs> uh, I'm currently in... Uh, Belgrade chappers yeah I had to sort of think about that one for a second then how many days it's been uh, it's quite easy to get confused on this trip uh, yeah we, we got a bus from Zagreb to uh, Belgrade last night um, six hours it took and then you kind of go through two different passport controls um, you get off the bus you get your passport checked going out of Croatia drive a bit further then you, you get out of the bus again get your passport checked going into Serbia uh, obviously, it used to be one country, didn't it, with Yugoslavia, but uh, definitely uh, quite hot on the comings and goings uh, between borders now. Did you really get a bus, or do you actually have a have a chauffeur-driven car, and you're just <laughs> kind of, you know, make, either, either you let Nick get the bus and then take all of his stories? Uh, yeah, no, I, I wish uh, there was some kind of uh, secret yeah. cruise that we were going on that, that, that you know, we kind of... Uh, can get away with this kind of travel. Um, if you check my Instagram, chappers, you'd know that I uh, did an Insta story from the bus as proof uh, and, and and referenced the the 192 bus, which hopefully some people got. Uh, it was I was suggesting that it wasn't quite the standards of the 192 famous old bus that would take me home from Manchester. Um, uh, but no, yeah, we actually, to be fair though, we do. So we've got like a Martino's our camera guy and uh, John, who's uh, sort of um, helping us as well. He uh, he drove through uh, the Alps. So when we went from Munich to Zurich to Milan, yeah, that was pretty picturesque. That was a, a nice, easy one for us. When you rolled your eyes there, Adam, are, are you rolling your eyes at, at Laurie plugging his own Instagram or are you rolling your eyes at something else? All of it, as in the sense that... All of it. <laughs> all, all of it. And that we're meant to believe it's this arduous journey. So I'm going from uh, Zurich to Munich to Milan... <laughs> As someone, as someone helps me drive um, along the way, uh, posting pictures. Can you not see the bags under my eyes? 
<laughs> That's my concern. It means a lot. Uh, let's move it on to uh, to talking football. Uh, we were going to talk about Manchester United, but first we'll talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, in an interview with Piers Morgan, he has criticised the club since Sir Alex Ferguson left and feels like he has been betrayed by them. They're trying to force you out. Yes, not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around the club. At uh, the senior executive level? Yes, that I felt betrayed. And uh, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I should not say that, I don't know. But listen, I, I don't care. I'm always, people should listen to the truth. Yes, I feel betrayed. And I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. Still with the big issue first, off the back of this, uh, Laurie, um, do you think he'll be available for United's next game, which is the League Cup fourth round tie at home to Burnley just before Christmas? I really thought when you were teeing that one up, Chappers, you were going to go off on the Rooney, uh, the, the Rooney snipe <laughs> that he, he managed to get in there as well. <laughs> what was the Rooney joke? Uh, that Rooney's criticised him because he's jealous that uh, he's still playing and he looks and he looks better than he does. Why has he done it? Why, I, I mean, it, it, it just feels utterly bizarre. I think the reason why he's done it now is because you've got the World Cup coming up, so, OK, he can go away from Manchester United, doesn't have to uh, face anybody until, you know, the transfer window opens. Um, I really think that he wants to go in January. You know, he obviously wants to leave. You know, he's, he's unhappy at not playing. Uh, you know, he's saying betrayed because he feels like United haven't uh, progressed as a club since he signed, which, you know, there are relevant points there. You know, the, the facilities upgrade and the structure of the club and the way they go about their transfer business, they're relevant, but they get drowned out by everything else that uh, he speaks about. And therefore, the kind of um, the understanding that I think fans have for what he's trying to say there, it, it diminishes um, because ultimately his motivation is for himself, um, it is to secure a move away. And I genuinely think that one of the factors in it is to score goals in the Champions League because um, you know, I was told in the summer that that was one of the motivations, particularly in the group stage. He was a few goals behind Lionel Messi for overall goal scoring. And now Messi scored four goals in the group stages for PSG this season. He's 11 behind him overall. He's two years younger than him. If he overtakes Ronaldo for all-time Champions League uh, goals. I do think that's a hit to his legacy that he wants to try and avoid. So if he can somehow, you know, magic up a club in the Champions League to take him in January, then he, he will absolutely seize that. But the issue is clearly, as we've discussed, you know, multiple times in the summer, there weren't any clubs in the Champions League that wanted or could afford to take him. If Adam, he had said, what the hell has happened to this club over the last decade since Sir Alex Ferguson has left, since Ferguson was a, a very effective effective shield for for the Glazers by still delivering success he'd have had a lot more support from from Manchester United fans if he if he'd have done it as a state of the club um it might not have made the headlines that Piers Morgan would have wanted it to if it had just been the state of Manchester United well i think also if he timed it differently you know if he'd have done it at the end of last season where you know, for example, he ended. He actually ended last season individually pretty well. He was in quite good goal-scoring form in the last sort of seven or eight games of the season. I think at that moment, because obviously we know, don't we, at the start of the summer, he was trying to leave the club as well. I think if he'd have done an interview at the start of the summer and said, you know, I come in and it wasn't what I expected. The facilities weren't up to scratch. Even the swimming pool hadn't been upgraded. The chef hadn't changed. Then they get this bloke in, Ralph Rangnick, who I've never even heard of, who was absolutely useless. 
And on top of that, you've got the Glazers overseeing it, and it's and the fans don't like it, don't like them, and I think they should leave the club. I think he'd have come out of it pretty well, actually. You know, despite all, despite yeah. you know, you can contest elements of of those things, but he's basically just done it at the point where he's kind of irrelevant to to what Manchester United are trying to do, and he's he is, I think, increasingly this season for, to, from Eric Ten Hag's point of view. He's just kind of been a nuisance presence that he's had to try and accommodate. At times, he's tried to indulge. I mean, it's only eight days since Eric Ten Hag made him the captain of Manchester United at Aston Villa, right? Like, despite around two weeks before, Ronaldo literally walking off the pitch during an actual Premier League match. I don't think we've sort of fully taken in how how insane that was as a thing to do, to, to walk off, off the pitch while your team is still playing as the highest paid player at the club. And we'd seen him do it in pre-season. Um, obviously, he missed pre-season as well. He's been ill over the past week. You know, I, I think United have been pretty accommodating in the circumstances. Obviously, he argues that he feels the club could have shown more empathy. You know, United will contest elements of what he said there. Um, I certainly think they would say that they've made improvements to Carrington. They're looking at making more improvements. I mean, they say that a fair amount you know and it kind of things drift a little bit and you, you want sort of real action so there's there's some sympathy there and a hat tip to you Adam I think in your piece didn't you, you mentioned the old swimming pool and the various elements I'm a bit sad that Mike the chef got uh got, got a bit of a hit from Ronaldo even though he said he was a very nice man uh but he, he wanted sort of I don't know more futuristic dining maybe um in the canteen the way that he's attacked Ten Hag is probably the the element where most fans would go not for me actually I think they've seen what Ten Hag's trying to do and cultivate a team culture and togetherness and I think they respect him as a manager for what he's achieved at Ajax and the style of play that he's in Implementing. And Ronaldo, okay, you can say Ralph Ranić wasn't the right fit at all for United, particularly when you got the two coaches in that hadn't worked in the Premier League before. It was a disaster last season. It was an embarrassment. Um, so I think Ronaldo's justified there. But now this is a second Manchester United manager that's had him. And let's not forget he had his doubts about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. So that's probably three managers at Manchester United that are all not good enough to manage Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know, are all three of them you know, wrong? The thing, Laurie, is like, if you go through... Ronaldo's entire career, right? At Real Madrid, he, there was quite a lot of managers yeah. that passed through. Yeah. And throughout all those managers, he, you know, Ronaldo was always brilliant. He was always scoring goals. So what's the thing that's changed? It's his own performance levels because he's getting old. Because that's life. And the betrayal is, is you know, the irony of it. You know, he, he was the one that said he wanted to leave. You know, he, he kind of stunned United at the... Maybe they shouldn't have been stunned because they should have... Uh, suspected or, or kind of realised which way he would go once they hadn't qualified for the Champions League. But, you know, th- they were surprised when he basically said, I want to leave, you know, just before they were due to fly out on pre-season. So that was incredibly damaging timing-wise. And again, now that the timing is obviously done for maximum impact for him and, and for the way that it can work, um, you know, personally. Any sympathy is, is, is drawn down amongst the fan base. And uh, I do wonder what the other players are thinking. I think, you know, they, they've obviously known how he's been around Carrington. You know, we've reported on it before, haven't we, where he's been resistant to Ten Hag's sort of drills, particularly impressing. You know, he, he kind of ate alone in the canteen. He, he wanted to go. He was, you know, causing a bit of a stink. So I think the, the, this won't come as a surprise to the players that what he's saying, but I think they'll probably, I think they'll still be a bit taken aback by the fact that he's done it so publicly and, and, and so aggressively. Does the way he has... Uh, uh phrased some of this and the words that he has used does this actually empower Ten Hag both within the fan base and within the club 
and the squad, Laurie? I think United have certainly given a lot of power to Ten Hag already. You know, the transfer business was very much um, driven by him. The uh, way that he handled Ronaldo, they absolutely backed, you know, dropping him from the Chelsea squad, making him train alone and actually releasing a statement about it and being very open about the, the logic behind it because, you know, they wanted to give him authority and also show to other players this is how you should behave and, and there will be consequences if, if you don't. Um, and even, you know, onto playing style and, and running in certain ways on the pitch. You know, I think that kind of extends to that. I do think that Tenag, he, he can kind of, doesn't have to respond to it. You know, he, he doesn't, you know, he, obviously he's got no press conferences now for, for a little bit. So there's actually not an opportunity to, but I don't think anyone's looking at him going, come on then, Eric, what, what have you got to say about this? Um, I think he can quite easily go, well, you know, I've picked my team. You know, it's, it's obviously going a different way. They want to sign a new striker as well. You know, Ten Hag knows this isn't sustainable. And I wonder if Ronaldo's just trying to really force the issue where it comes to a decision where United have to either let him go for free. I, th- I think United would let him go for free now as long as it didn't cost them any money. But I think the issue here is he's still got six months left of his contract and, you know, whatever it is, 400 grand a week, you know, it's, it's a few million, isn't it, to, to pay him up, to let him go. I don't think they would want to do that. Whether or not him becoming a more toxic presence, you know, forces their hand, I think they would be loath to actually pay him to go and then have to sign a new, another striker as well. But it's also if anybody's going to come in for him. And that that may sound ridiculous on the one hand, but he probably would have gone last summer, Adam, if if somebody had come in for him at, at Champions League level. And we were led to believe that, that no, nobody did come in for him. Yeah. You, you say it's like, it, it might seem strange that maybe no one comes in for him. Well, actually, if you just watch him play this season, it doesn't seem strange at all. He's not scoring goals. He doesn't really contribute anything else to the team. And in the dressing room and, you know, off the pitch, he's causing a host of problems. So if you're a forward-thinking club looking to build a team for the future, why would you go and buy Cristiano Ronaldo and pay him what, what he wants to earn? I think the, the, the slight complication in the summer was when Ten Hag first came in. He actually wanted Ronaldo to stay at the very start, as far as we know. And and as a result of that, so like May, June, there was kind of this decision made that, you know, they're going to try and get the best out of Ronaldo. And it looks like he was going to be on board with that. And then all of a sudden, pre-season comes around and he decides, actually, I want to play in the Champions League. I want to hit that goals record. I want to leave. But United, by that point, were, were planning different parts of their squad. So at the time, it was all about Frenkie de Jong. Then obviously, it ended up with Casemiro. You've got Anthony. You've got Lissandra Martinez. And they just didn't... I don't think they... I don't think anyone would have had enough money to do everything that Ten Hag would have wanted to do last summer, right? To do a strike, a a major striker on top of that. And as a result, it left them at the end of August in this very awkward position where Ronaldo had decided he wanted to leave, but United's transfer strategy had by then changed. And it was too late to get a striker in that was of the required quality for the investment. I mean, is that how... You saw it, Laurie? Yeah, yeah. I think think you're sort of spot on there. I mean, you you could argue that a... A forward-thinking club would have identified this as an issue, yeah. understanding yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and, and he, obviously he refers to that, doesn't he? He talks about the structure. We've, we've written pieces before where he's, he's asked, you know, why United don't have a sporting director, even though you know there's other people at the club that um, sort of do 
aspects of that job. He's spoken in this interview about Sir Alex Ferguson, saying, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson knows. I, I don't know if that's with Ferguson's authority. I mean, I presume they've spoken, you know, in, in these in these intervening weeks and months. Um, but yeah, I, and so, but I, I do wonder as well, just touching on a point you mentioned there about other clubs looking at this. He obviously feels like he wants to get his side of the story out, and you know, to hell with everything else. But does it not damage his chances of getting another club if they if they're looking at this thinking, wow, do we really want to invite this guy into our club who he will speak up and and publicise things at the first you know, sign of trouble? For all he is, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's still a human being, and he still had a very tough time of it this year, and he is an employee of Manchester United. Do do you have any idea? of the support that was offered to Cristiano Ronaldo when he lost his child. United consistently said, you know, anything he needs, you know, he, he can have, you know, if it's time off, you know, they obviously, Ten Hag actually defended him in pre-season when he was saying it's a personal matter, it's private, we've let him go. He, he never, uh, you know, publicly talk, spoke about anything to do with transfers or anything like that. So I, I do feel like, you know, they, they, from my understanding, gave him space if he needed it. Um, they've done that before, you know, um, Juan Mata's an example where his mother died and, and they gave him time away. So I'd, I'd be surprised if they weren't empathetic to that situation. But yeah, I, I must admit, I don't know the exact details because it's a private matter and it's been difficult to get, you know, um, fuller clarity on it. Giving one matter time, if one, if one matter then suddenly grief affected him two months after the loss of his mum and he needed more time, then there isn't a circus a media circus, just a complete circus around one matter, and that would just be dealt with in a certain way. You know, Ronaldo is still going to be affected by grief for a very long time, I I would imagine. And there is an element of, you know, if he needs to deal with something three months after the loss of his child or six months after the loss of his child, then he should be entitled to do that. But him out of a squad for whatever reason then does create more of a circle. Yeah, of course. And that's, unfortunately, that's kind of the life of someone who's grieving as an active sports sports person. That, you know, if you are very, very famous, then that's a very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, to both be given that space in the first place, to give yourself that space in, in the first place, to decide that you want to interrupt your career at particularly at his age, right, at 36, 37, when it's the last couple of years. The thing he actually referred to in the interview was that his daughter was unwell during pre-season, I think, rather than the, 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 loss, of, the loss of his child um, in April. What we know is that he's spoken to, he met into with Jordan Peterson, who's kind of this um, Canadian mentor, quite controversial figure in kind of US-Canadian po- political scene. Uh, but he's met with him, in the last couple of months, seemed to take some strength from that. And that's really as much as we know about his personal situation. Um, and kind of until he says more about it, it's probably as much as we can say. His timing for doing this seems uh, seems unfortunate for him because he did it on the day that Alejandro Garnacho got his first Premier League goal. And if I would imagine if you talk to 99% of Manchester United fans, if they wanted to keep one and lose one, they would be keeping Garnacho and getting rid of Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, you've got to look to the future, haven't you? I mean, even if everything was absolutely rosy in the garden of Ronaldo at United, he's 38, 
in February. Um, you know, his, his contract's up in the summer. Okay, there's an option to extend, but you'd think that that would be, thank you for two more years and, and uh, bid you adieu. Uh, Garnacho's 18. Um, he's clearly got a lot of talent and a lot of personality and a lot of willing to make himself the protagonist in a story which is good in moments where you need someone to step up and do a thing like he did at Craven Cottage uh, which I think people have reflected on quite similar to Cristiano Ronaldo's goal in 2007 which was a key moment in you know, first title in three years for Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. Garnacho has had some teething problems as well himself. Um, I think Bruno and Eric Tenag have both publicly spoken about that and we've reflected a little bit of that in, in some of our writing. Can I, can I just ask you a question yeah. on that? Because I'm I am really bemused about this, okay? Because until Ten Hag and Bruno started talking about Garnacho's attitude, yeah. I, I don't think anybody was aware that there was an issue with Garnacho's attitude. Well, you may have been because you're you're close to it, but I don't I don't I don't see United fans clamouring for Garnacho to start and wondering why he wasn't and therefore an explanation having to be made oh well his attitude at times hasn't been great so it almost feels like they've hung something round his neck that they're now going to be asked about all the time when nobody was aware of it in the first place. Yeah, it's unusual for a manager to speak. It was, it was Ten Hag that went first, and then obviously uh, Bruno Fernandes spoke after that. Um, I think Ten Hag is just <laughs> kind of pretty blunt, you know. Um, I don't think he... And I think he probably felt, I just need to make sure that this doesn't um, become a big thing. You know, it, it's, it's maybe... You know the natural um, course of events when a young player is talented and, and and wants to make a name for himself. But you know, equally, I'm a manager and I need to just make sure. You know, he, he said this after he even wins. You know, for, from for the squad as a whole, improvements need to be made. He's, he's always couched the praise with uh, critique as well, and I think that's what he was doing in the case of Garnacho. He was still you know full of praise for him as well, but it obviously. Uh, you know, made people think. Okay, there obviously there is something that needs to be uh, just put on record, I suppose, about uh, the way that he's developed so far. He didn't play any games in pre-season. That was one aspect where we were a little bit like, okay, what's what's happening there? Because you'd think he would be more worthy of, of games than Taith Chong, for example, who's you know 22 and kind of had his opportunity to make it at United. Um, so that was a, an incongruous situation that I think, on reflection now, we're seeing perhaps why that was the case. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd heard a few bits and. I'm always a bit uh, conscious of of saying of, of doing anything public writing anything because you know we've we've had it before with younger players where they have had teething problems and it's I don't know if it's a a journalist's responsibility to immediately as soon as you hear a bit of information put it out there and say this is an issue but then it changes when Ten Hag and Fernandez speak publicly to you know important first team individuals you kind of have to then contextualize and say well this is you know part of what's being spoken about um but yeah i i think hopefully you know he's, he's come on he's made an impact there's contract talks that are un- underway um about you know tying him down sort of longer term um it'll be interesting to see how they go but clearly he's a very talented boy and, and someone that's not afraid to to take the limelight um he, he's he's got that really interesting dynamic of, of training and, and playing with Cristiano Ronaldo and also training and playing with Lionel Messi for Argentina. Um, I see he replicated Messi's celebration at, at Craven Cottage. He's, he'd done the previous, he'd done a CU and he'd, he'd done the, the kind of calm, sleepy Ronaldo celebration as well. Um, so I don't know, you know, he, he might have to make a decision at one point which, which one is his, his real uh, hero. He's not going to be playing and training for much longer with Cristiano Ronaldo, I would, I would suggest. Uh, right, we will leave you to your... Um 
gastronomic tour across Europe that you're also somehow calling a World Cup build-up. Uh, if you want to uh, follow uh, pictures of all the food that Laurie is eating, then you can uh, on his Instagram. Uh, and uh, uh, they're also writing articles uh, on it uh, on The Athletic as well. Uh, you can subscribe now for a pound a month for the first six months uh, by going to theathletic.com slash pod to read all of Laurie and Nick's stuff. We'll talk about Everton next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. And then Solanke holds off Tarkovsky very well. Just outside the box. Dom Solanke tried to bend one. And Pickford's lost it. And Tavernier's tucked it in. A moment for the England goalkeeper to forget on the eve of the World Cup. A regulation claim from Pickford. He spilt the ball straight at the feet of Marcus Tavernier. We have to be better than what we've been this week. <laughs> we have to maybe take a bit of stock in this time out. Not good stock. It's about taking a realisation what it means to be an Everton player, what it means to be an Everton team. We have to have more fight and desire than today. So that part's unacceptable. And we actually have to play better as well. Let's talk Everton then. Frank Lampard said nothing was good enough from his side in their 3-0 defeat at Bournemouth, which saw some very angry away fans at the final whistle. Greg O'Keefe was there for the Athletic, joins us now. Did that anger surprise you? Not really, because it's we've seen... Similar scenes in the past four or five seasons, really. Whether it's you know, Rafa Benitez or Marco Silva, you, know, you kind of you can go through a list of managers. There's usually a point when a result's that bad that the usually the away fans kick off royally, and that was the the point, albeit a bit earlier in the season than usual on Saturday. Um, you wrote, yeah, you wrote, Greg. Sorry, you wrote. Saturday's defeat was as bad as anything served up last season. An embarrassment to rival the 4-0 Cup quarter-final defeat by Crystal Palace or the 3-2 defeat 
at Burnley. Yeah, because I think the most alarming thing was the lack of appetite and just being second best to things that Everton can control themselves. 50-50s, loose balls, not being, lacking an intensity that Bournemouth had. And especially when you consider they were going there again the second time in five days on the back of a pretty embarrassing cup defeat. It was still the club's responsibility to go there and not just reward the supporters, who, who a lot of them made that trip again, but show that there was some sort of positive to sign off on before the break. From the start, it's pretty much to the end, they were second best. And, you know, you can look at what Bournemouth have spent in the summer and, you know, their, their situation and, and consider how Everton, you know, who would probably uh, lament you know, not having enough to spend themselves in certain areas. But, you know, Anana probably cost alone more than uh, most of Bournemouth's players. And um, it was just wasn't good enough. And Frank Lampard cut a pretty full-on figure early in, in the, the small press room there. Is it compounded by the fact that they were thrashed by the same opposition five days later? I mean, you, you mentioned that. If they'd have, I don't know, if they'd gone out of the League Cup to Nottingham Forest 1-0 and then lost at Bournemouth, do you think the anger would have been the same? Well, no, I think you're right. It, it clearly is. It's sort of, you know, sort of the Groundhog Day, same thing, uh, a perceived uh, smaller club. That that did compound it, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it was a defeat at home and then defeat away with a, that cup embarrassment sandwiched in. You know, there's wider context that compounded it as well. But to say, you know, we, we're talking about compounding it, but the fact that Alex Wilby's been comfortably one of Everton's best players this season... We've spoken, I think, on this podcast about, you know, he's sort of confounded everyone, mine especially, my opinion of him. Um, to to think it was him even getting pelters from the away end speaks to the anger. You know, I, I don't know if it was his shirt, but one of the players flung the shirt in and it came straight back with with a, a vengeance. <laughs> Seamus Coleman, you'll go be hard-pressed to find the more popular figure around the club. And he was getting it, Jordan Pickford. You know, all right, broad shoulders, and he'll probably and did hold his hands up and apologise for the mistake that kind of started the the rot on Saturday. But um, yeah, it was not a happy place to be an Evertonian. There is something very funny, Adam, isn't there, about that a player throwing his shirt in as a as a thank you gesture, and it being. I mean, I'm sure the players won't see this, but fans then throwing it straight back. I mean, that that is funny. It's also, I mean, it's like a boomerang, isn't it? Sort of put it in and come straight back at you. But but but. I mean, it's also quite a lack of self-awareness by whichever players after their second consecutive thumping at Bournemouth are throwing their shirts into the crowd. Unless there's a cardboard banner, unless he's identified a fan that he particularly wants to give the shirt to, etc. If it's just, I'm throwing it in the crowd because you all appreciate me, then yeah, it's a bit of a lack of self-awareness. Greg, is there is the anger towards the towards the players specifically? Is, it, is there a feeling of turning on Lampard? Because I think it's only like, Six or seven weeks since I was seeing all over Twitter, you know, Lampard gets it. He's really bought into the culture of the club. He's, uh, you know, particularly the home games have become far more of an occasion. That result against Crystal Palace a few weeks ago where they, where everyone was saying, you know, probably Everton's best performance for quite some time. Who who are people angry towards? Maybe that's a question about Britain generally in the last six years. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. but particularly with Everton right now, who, who are they angry about? I think circumstances, first and foremost, there's a flicker of anger at Lampard around the edges with some, some, some supporters who I kind of fear might have been almost conditioned to the, you know, hire him and fire him as much as they would stand back, you know, and, and try in the better moments and say that's not the way to progress. 
probably if you do it enough times, they almost see that as the answer. And I think it is generally circumstances. It, then it's the players. And I think Lampard still has credit in the bank from, as you rightly point out, all the sort of soft skills work he's done around sort of most of the things, but results, if, you, if that makes sense. So you know, building the culture, um, making the team likeable again. In fairness, keeping them up last season, let's not forget that. Um, and then these little hints that there's a, a progressive way of football there and there's a future. You rightly name the Palace results as, as that. Unfortunately, that's been a bit of an outlier this season. And there is mitigation, you know, obviously having Samuel Charles and not being able to replace him properly. Uh, death, the creativity and sort of number 10 role, if you like. But then, it, it, you know, people are also questioning his tactics and he is making mistakes along the way. I think it was a mistake to change 11 players for the, the cup game. I'm not sure he's ready to acknowledge that yet, but I, I mean, it, it was, it, it sort of started, uh, well, it just compounded, as Chappell said, a, a losing negative momentum that kind of just rolled into Saturday. And there's little tweaks that he does in game or, or tactically. I don't think Anana's playing in his right position. I don't think Lampard's found that yet, or he hasn't got the squad depth to allow Anana to play where he wants him to. So he's got a lot on his to-do list the next six weeks and uh, to sort of prevent that anger from putting the spotlight more on him. I mean, it's inevitable with Everton these days, isn't it? That when, when things sort of goes badly as they do, the, the question is often about the manager and, and you're never sure what Fahad Mashiri's response will be and his form is to you know, to speak to people around him and start looking at maybe how he could change it. But I do believe that's just not going to work this time. He does, I think he needs another couple of windows to be able to own the mess that he inherited and say, but but there's still, he has not helped himself in small bursts, I would say as well. But they don't, they don't massively have the money, do they? No, not, not, not especially. Uh, otherwise they would have tried, you know, to bring in another striker, which they obviously needed in addition to, to Neil Malpay. And they would have tried to bring in an, you know, another attacking midfielder. Um, they're still trying to be creative about what they do. There is, there is money there, but they're not going to be able to go out and, you know, spend 30, 40 million on one player in January. Which players in particular are, are taking the heat for, from the fans at the moment? Because I look at like through that Everton squad or certainly the starting team. And it seems to me like it's quite just quite a lot of sort of, don't really like the phrase, but like honest pros, you know, looking at like Cody, Tarkovsky, Coleman, Iwobi now, Calvert-Lewin, yeah, I, Pickford. Who, who is it that's actually taking the, the heat uh, from the fan base? Well, you're right. I mean, all the players that you've kind of outlined there are the ones who aren't. But perhaps right. not Calvert-Lewin. I think there's, there's a sort of frustration that it's not going right for him, albeit... You know, maybe they're not angry at him. They're just angry at his the, the sort of uh, the sad situation he's in with his fitness. Well, I would say it's it's probably sorry, it's Damari Gray. You know, he only cost one point seven five million, so it's not as if he came in with huge price tag. But uh, he did. He has shown these frustrating flashes of ability to be a game changer. Scored a couple of big goals, not as many as you need really from a consistent. You know, someone who's going to start in your front three often. But um, he he was woeful on on Saturday. Anthony Gordon is becoming a little bit of a sort of bet noir at the moment. You know the the Chelsea links and the fact that his head was clearly turned hasn't gone down very well. And he's not really he had a decent start to the season, played well in in, in the draws with Brentford and Leeds, and that's fizzled out. And therefore, do, do you think they regret not cashing it? I think some supporters definitely. That's the sentiment going around. Yeah, that you know if if there was a realistic chance of getting fifty million from Chelsea, debatable. But you know, let's say. I think 40, you know, they were, they were interested at 40 million. 
Um, I think there's a lot of sporters who'd say maybe we should have taken that and used it to buy a, you know, a, a better stand-in for Calvert-Lewin than they did. Anthony Gordon, Greg, just from what you're saying there, it sounds like he might be the new Ross Barkley. What's funny, I was reading an interview with Ross uh, at the weekend and I did, actually did think of the sort of parallels there. And unfortunately, that they could go that way, you know, as in... Had Anthony made that move, there's every chance he wouldn't have been playing much, certainly initially or at all. Really, there's not you know, no guarantees. And obviously, with the, the change in manager as well, you know, would he have <laughs> would have been part of Potter's plans? You never know. He could have ended up ended up very much following the same path as Ross Barkley. But do you know what I mean with Everton fans? Like they're like one of their own, and they yeah. absolutely adore him. Mm. And then for whatever reason, maybe doesn't kick on, or maybe too much is expected too young, and it then all goes a bit sour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say, I think from watching them both coming through, Ross Barkley seems to have more, you know, more about him, more natural talent than Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon's a, you know, really exciting young player. And, you know, you, you see periods why, you know, Frank Lampard was so reluctant to let him leave and really talked him up this summer. Uh, and effectively, you know, the chairman, Bill Kenwright, agreed they couldn't sell him and Richarlison. For me, Barkley was at that stage the better player, but it could it could go that way, and it you know it wouldn't be as you say the first time. It's it's something about one of their own, and as much as there was a little bit of well, yeah, you can't really blame him for having his head turned by Chelsea. Now results are going poorly, and he's not playing particularly well. That's being used as a stick to beat him with. Greg, one question that I imagine sort of Everton fans are far more across, but you know, for those of us that are more on the outside, what's the? There was a lot of talk in the summer about the ownership possibly changing hands. Yeah. What's what's the latest with that? Because obviously Everton can't really progress very much as a Premier League club until that changes, and you have this huge spectre of like arm financial Armageddon of relegation mm. unless that ownership changes, right? Well, and of course, there's complicating external factors. Liverpool now being on the market, isn't it? So you know, people mm. who are perhaps interested in you know what's going on in the northwest, clearly you know a place where if you're an American investor. You, you know, it's an it's an enticing prospect, isn't it? Merseyside, the Northwest football. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you are you rethinking? Well, yeah, we could buy Everton, or you know, I think I heard them described as a potential consolation prize, which is kind of be a tough one to swallow for Everton fans. Absolutely, maybe maybe you could throw that the other way around and say there'd be a a bargain, perhaps. But you know, the the Kaminsky group who were interested um, last season and. and are still, as far as I know, are still interested in their proposal, which was to uh, a full takeover of the club. And that was being resisted by Fahd Mashir, who didn't want that. He seemed to want um, someone to come in and, be, and become a minority investor with him remaining as the as the majority shareholder. And as far as I know, that impasse continues, Adam. So it, it's kind of going nowhere fast, <laughs> like Everton's season, really. We talked about Lampard there and, you know, how they have looked around in the past as soon as a manager is, is under pressure. Do you get any sense that they may be not well spooked? Maybe the wrong word, but it often happens around this time that clubs towards the bottom look at what other clubs around the bottom yeah. are doing. Yeah. You know, uh, Wolves have changed their manager. Southampton have changed their manager. Villa have changed their manager. Mm-hmm. Do you think they will look at what other clubs have done and think, "Uh oh"? Well, it's the two. It's the sort of two tiers of Everton, isn't it? It's it kind of what I think. Uh, would Bill, be Bill Kenwright, the chairman, and and the, uh, Denise Barrett-Baxnell, the CEO's response would be probably not. They've invested a lot of kind of emotional energy and, and uh, effort in Lampard, giving him, a, as they would say, an exhaustive search to find a replacement. You know, it was just last season 
for Rafa Benitez. And I think they would say, give him time. And then in London, you might have parallel conversations happening. And, and as I say, people around Fad Mashiri might be saying just exactly like you said there, this might be a time to change if, if, if you, you know, if we're losing faith. And However, I don't think there's a sense that that's on, on the cards. And actually, I should say, before when I said, you know, might be looking around and, and you know, uh, preparing a shortlist, chance would be a fine thing. It's often felt at Everton when they have made these changes in the past few years, it's sack the manager and then think, all oh, right, okay, what should we do now? <laughs> Instead of going around and thinking. It normally goes something like, let's let's give David Moyes or Roberto yeah. Martinez a call and, that, and then hire someone else. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? So yeah, rather than going out and sort of sounding out people like, you know, Pochettino, or, you know, <laughs> might be on the, obviously an ambitious one, but people who might be on the fringes and, or, you know, exciting coaches like Thomas Frank, you know, would they be interested? I think it, it's usually a lot more knee-jerk than that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think a managerial change is on the horizon anytime soon. But but listen, it's the fixtures for Everton. Uh, Man City won the first games back uh, after Wolves. So, you know, another couple of toxic games like that, particularly at home. And then I couldn't say what would happen with uh, with Mr. Mishiri and, and, and Frank Lampard. He, I think he, he really needs those players to um, to step up that because he said on, on Saturday, you know, it's not on me that lack of intensity, and he's not, you know, he's not shy of putting it on the players. Last season, he spoke about them, you know, lacking bollocks, and it worked. It got them over the line along with a lot of other things that he did. And as I say, he still has that credit in the bank. How long it'll remain there, I'm not so sure. So, Greg, one thing should um, should we be worried at all about Jordan Pickford or? Or just complete blip this weekend in terms of his form? Yeah, complete complete blip. I think. Um, he, you know, he often he has these periods at Everton where he'll make a couple of high profile errors. In fairness, as well, you mean remember last season, the huge part he kept played in keeping them up with those unbelievable saves against Chelsea and Manchester United. Great save in the Merseyside derby just earlier this season. So, yeah, nothing to worry about there. It was it was a stinker, and it it really didn't help on Saturday because you know you one 0 down after early periods of the game and 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 that negativity and that kind of. Bournemouth just capitalised on it. But I expect him to be just the, the pick for the England of, of know and love and be able to rely upon when the action starts in Qatar. Greg, thank you. Thanks to all our guests today. Final three episodes of Adam's podcast, Away From Home, drops today. That's where he follows Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine. So listen to that wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.